Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We've been learning much about the Holy Spirit the last couple weeks, and we've been uh, learning with the goal of what would it be like for us to walk in the Spirit. Uh, How could we learn to walk in the Spirit? I want you to grab your Bibles, and uh, we'll be in a number of passages this evening. Keep those close to you. But as we continue tonight, we have looked at who the Holy Spirit is. We've looked at what the Holy Spirit does. And tonight we're going to look at how do you know if you are full of the Holy Spirit? What is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Or another way to look at this is how can we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit wants you to learn who he is. He wants us to learn what he does. He wants us to learn to live our life under his control. And my prayer tonight, in the rest of these teachings, that we will let it be not just head knowledge, but move to our heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit will will permeate your very being tonight, and he will bear witness with you in your soul as we study his word. You see, the litmus test, if you're taking notes, jot this down, the litmus test of a spirit-filled life, It's not the words that I say, but rather, it's the fruit of my life. How do I know if if I'm full of the Spirit? How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Jesus himself teaches us, saying the litmus test of a Spirit-filled life is not the words that I say, but rather, it is the fruit of my life. He put it this way in Matthew 7, 16 and 17, and then in verse 20. By their fruit, you will recognize them, Jesus says. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus is saying, in essence, whether you are walking in the Spirit will be determined by the fruit in your life. The Bible has a lot to say about the fruit of the Spirit, and and we need to ask this question for us tonight. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We'll be there for a couple minutes. Galatians 5, 22. In the verses just prior to this, you see the Apostle Paul is, is talking about the kind of life that is contrary to the one that's walking in the Spirit. It's been talking about the bad fruit, a life that grieves and and it quenches the Holy Spirit. But in verse 22, he contrasts this life of bad fruit with a life of good fruit. Look with me at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, Paul mentions here this cluster of, of spiritual fruit. Now, he can expand on each one, and he can do some deeper teaching on each one, but he doesn't choose to do that at this point, because he wants us to see these as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruits. It is, it is the collection. It is the grouping. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This fruit of the Holy Spirit is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our life. Now, he doesn't say that the Christians should make it our goal to have some fruit. He didn't say that the Christians should make it their goal to have the fruit 
to strive for it every day. No, he simply states that it's a natural byproduct. It's a result of a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. You will see the fruit of the Spirit. So this is the first thing that we need to see tonight as we learn what it means to be walking in the Spirit, what it means to have evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to see what fruit looks like for us. The spiritual fruit is not work. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Spiritual fruit, it is not work. What happens in your life when you try to strive to be loving, when you try to strive to have joy, you try to really work hard to be patient and self-controlled. You may start out great. You may make some headway, but inevitably you will fail. You'll come to a point where you are no longer patient. You are not loving. You are not giving of yourself. You are not controlled. And, and so when we look at what the fruit of the Spirit is, we need to understand that it is not about your work. It's not about your effort. It's not about you gritting your teeth and just really working to do better at being loving and patient and kind and joyful and kind, all these other things. So we see first that we need to learn about the fruit of the Spirit, that it's, it's not a work. The spiritual fruit, it's, it's not a product of my own effort. Now, now, don't miss this. See, sometimes we, we get caught up in this lie or this challenge of trying to make the fruit of the Spirit something that I earn. Write this in. When I lower God's fruit standard to a work standard, that's when, uh, that's when what I do becomes more important than who I am. When I lower God's fruit standard to my work standard, when that's when what I do becomes more important than who I am. In other words, if I make the fruit of the Spirit about what I do, I am lowering the bar of what God is saying. He says the fruit of the Spirit talks about who you are. It's about a character thing. It's not about an action of, of, of what you do all the time. It's who you are in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, it's not a work. When I lower the, the fruit of the Spirit... The fruit standard to a work standard, it's when I put emphasis on what I do more important than who I am in Christ. The spirit-filled life is it's not defined or determined by what I do for God. Now notice what it says here in this next verse. Galatians 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. See, the spirit-filled life, it requires dying out to self. Every day, laying down my life, saying, I'm not living for myself any longer. I don't have to defend my ego. I don't have to defend my own selfish agenda. I don't have to look out for me all the time. I'm going to die to self, and I'm going to live for Christ. See, rather, it's what I allow God to do in me and through me. It's what I allow God to do in me and through me. Now, I know tonight that we have the cream of the crop here. If you're here on a Sunday night, no doubt you are desiring to be in a group that grows deeper in the things of God. And we've been talking about that on Sunday morning, growing deeper. And Paul has been teaching us about what it means to put down roots and, and to grow in maturity in the things of God. And we talked about this morning how when we see the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God gives us, we don't operate in these spiritual gifts in our own strength. They're not given to us in our own strength. The best way to live out and serving with our spiritual gifts is to walk in the Spirit. 
But before we can walk in the Spirit, we had to know who the Holy Spirit was, what the Holy Spirit does, and we need to have some litmus tests of, is the Holy Spirit moving and alive in my life? I recognize that this room is filled with people who have taught on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you, no doubt, have been walking many days, weeks, months, years, decades in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's good for us to look and review and say, God, is there any evidence of your work in my life right now? If I would do a fruit check in my life right now, what would I see? What would I find? God, is your fruit in my life? I have taught about your fullness of the Spirit. I have even experienced your fullness of the Spirit. But where is the fruit today? Verse 25 of Galatians 5 says this. Paul goes on to affirm this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I like this word picture that Paul uses of of being in step. It's not getting ahead of God. It's not getting behind God. It's not getting to the left. It's not getting to the right. But I am walking in step with the Spirit. When I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life, I will begin to see that I am walking in step with Him. This is sometimes a difficult concept for us. We live in a culture that is addicted to work. It's a work production oriented culture. We live in a society where we place more emphasis on what a person does than who they are. We want to know what you do for a living than who you are as a human being. And so this creeps into our understanding about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we look for the fruit of the Spirit, we begin to pick out things that we have done that seem loving, that seem kind, that seems patient. But are you loving? Are you kind? Are you patient? Where is your character? Where is the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You see, it's a whole lot easier for us to try to pick out something that we do than to look at who we are. When I try to lower the fruit standard bar to the work standard bar, I miss it every single time. Often it's because I can manage some of the things that I do more than what the hard work of looking at who I am really is. For example, here's a couple ways that I think this happens in our everyday life. Would you agree that it's easier to just help out in ministry somewhere than it is to love your enemy? Now, I'm not downplaying serving and helping out. We talked about that this morning. There is a role, and it helps us grow in the things of God to, to serve But I could go do something, and that would be often easier than to love my enemy. The fruit of the Spirit talks about my character, who I am in Christ. Is there evidence of the character of Christ in me, or is it just a couple check boxes that I mark off of things that I do? It's much easier for me to preach or teach a message on the fruit of the Spirit than it is for me to love somebody who would verbally assault me somehow. It's easier to to do something than to be something. And God wants to do some transforming work in our heart and in our life. We want to define the Spirit-filled life in terms of actions, yet Jesus continually defines it in terms of who we are in Him. Spiritual fruit, it's not work. Let's go on to the next one there in your outline. Spiritual fruit, it's not work, and it's not a gift. 
not a gift. There's spiritual gifts. We talked about that a little bit this morning. But spiritual fruit, it's not a gift. See, when I lower God's fruit standard to a gift standard, that's when my experience becomes more important than my character. Now, don't miss this. When I lower the the fruit standard to the gift standard, that's when I begin to make my experiences more important than my character. Personal experience in our culture is becoming more and more the basis of how we judge what is true, what is reality. But experience is a fickle thing. It's like emotions. Emotions can make good slaves but horrible masters. Our experiences are important and there's something that we we hang on to, but it's not the crux of who we are. We need to allow there to be more than just our own experience. See, the foundation, the root, the rock of my life in Christ is his work on the cross. It's what he has done that produces his Christ-like character in me. The spirit-filled life, it's not defined by what gift I have received. Jot that down. If I know who the Holy Spirit is, I know what the Holy Spirit does in my life, how do I know if the Holy Spirit is residing in me? The fruit of the Spirit will be there. The fruit of the Spirit, it's not about your works. It's not about how hard you grin and bear it and try to just do better. It's not about the particular spiritual gift that you've been given. There's been some false teaching that has gone around the Church of Christ for a number of years and in more than just our recent time. That there is an evidence of the fullness of the Spirit in your life when you have a particular gift. This is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us that it's not about lowering the fruit standard to a gift standard. That's when I make my experience of what I'm seeing happen in my life more important than what Christ is developing in me in my character. The Spirit-filled life, it's not defined by what gift I have received. This is something that should make good biblical sense to us. As we saw this morning, that there are many different gifts. Depending on how you read those three chapters in the New Testament, you find between 18 and 21 different spiritual gifts. Not every person is given every spiritual gift. And so to say that you have the Holy Spirit in your life when you have a particular gift, this is not squaring up with what the New Testament would teach for us. But this is a pitfall for us. Sometimes we begin to fall back and we say, well, I have the the fullness of the Spirit in my life because I have experienced Him some way. Or I have a gifting that he has given to me in a particular way. That's not what we find here in Galatians. We see that it's the fruit of the Spirit is his evidence. So what is it? Rather, it is defined by what gift I share with others. What gift I share with others. We'll talk in some weeks to come about the spiritual gifts and how they're used for the common good of the church and for our own benefit. It's easy for us to confuse this gifts of the Spirit and then the fruit of the Spirit. But we don't want to lower the fruit standard to the gift standard when we make our own experience or our own gifting that God has given us more important than the character that he brings into our life. I want to illustrate a difference again here for us. Would you not agree that it's easier to seek some spiritual gift or some particular experience from God? It's easier to do that than to forgive somebody that you have a grudge against. Someone who has deeply hurt you and they are in the wrong. 
Would you not agree that it's easier to get people to come to a miracle healing rally than it is to get them to be faithful in their devotion to God throughout the year? Would you not agree that it's easier to trust God to miraculously bail you out of some financial hardship than it is for you to be consistent and systematic and you're trusting in Him weekend and week out? You see the difference? There's a place for an experience with God. There's a place for the gifts that God gives us. But spiritual gifts and a particular experience is not evidence of the fullness of the Spirit in your life. How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit when I just feel that spiritual goosebump? When I begin to see God do something miraculous through me. When I begin to see my spiritual gift at work. Those are good things. But scripture tells us that is not the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit in your life. There are times when you don't feel such a thing. There's times when you don't see something produced the way that you had hoped or thought it should be produced. There are times when we need to know that it's deeper than that. When I see the fruit of of the Spirit in my life. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my life. We've talked a lot about what spiritual fruit is not. Well, what is spiritual fruit? Spiritual fruit is Christ-like character. Character has to do more with the motive of my heart than it does with the work I do or the gift that I possess. When I look around the Church of America today, I, I see that There's not a lot of people who want to pursue Christ-like character. I hear a lot of Christians who say that they, they want the power of God, but I don't know if I hear many who say they want to have the character of God. A lot of people who claim to be Christian, but I don't know if I really see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. There's a lot of interest in experiencing God, but not much interest in building Christ-like character. No wonder we have little credibility with the watching world. We tell them that Christ will transform their life, and they look at ours and they say, well, when is he going to transform yours? And sometimes we get defensive and we begin to think about, well, I'm not that bad, or, or I, I do some good things, and I don't drink and smoke and chew or go with girls that do, and I'm keeping some rules better than someone else, and so he's transformed me. They may not have the handles or the language to articulate what they are seeing, but it is absolutely correct. Sometimes they look at us in the church and they say, I'm not talking about you keeping some rules. But you're telling me he'll transform my life. Are you transformed? When we begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, we see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And it should produce the character of Jesus Christ in us. When the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my conduct and my lifestyle, it is then the world will receive my work, and it's at that point the church will trust my gift. Don't miss this. This is important. When the fruit of the Spirit is evident in the conduct of my lifestyle, then the world will receive my work, and the church will trust my gift. You want to have credibility with your church? You want to have credibility with the people around you? You allow the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit in you. That's when your spiritual gifts will be edified. That's when you'll be trusted. That's when you'll begin to have credibility with people that you're witnessing to. Well, that's all fine and good, but how does God produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life? If it's not about my work, if it's not about my gifts, if it's not about something I conjure up, then how in the world do I have the fruit of the Spirit in my life? If the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life, well, get to the point, Pastor. Hurry up. 
How do we experience this? How does this happen? What, what does it look like? The good thing is that Scripture tells us clearly. Turn with me to John chapter 15. As you remember the last couple of weeks, we've looked at John 14 through 16. There's no good study of the Holy Spirit without looking at John 14 through 16. There's other great passages, but we've got to look at these places. Listen to what Jesus says about spiritual fruit in John 15, verse 5. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus is talking about maintaining a connection with him. He is the vine, and then we are the branches. What he is saying is that spiritual fruit requires a right relationship. If you're taking notes, jot that down. That's the next blank. Right relationship. How does, the, how does God produce spiritual fruit in us? He says, you need to remain in me and then I will remain in you. It starts by having a right relationship. If you want to have the fruit of the Spirit, ask yourself, am I remaining in Jesus? Is my relationship with Jesus right? He is the vine, we are. Are the branches. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, notice he's beginning to talk about these members of the Trinity again. God, the Father, is the gardener who watches over, who fertilizes, who, who weeds, who prunes, who collects the fruit from the branches. God, Son, Jesus, is the true vine. He is the source of life, fruitfulness for every branch. Well, where is the Holy Spirit in this analogy? Now, Jesus doesn't tell us directly, but the Holy Spirit is the life-giving nutrients to the vine, to the branches. However, we begin to see that when the Holy Spirit gives nutrients to us, we begin to see that when we remain in Him and He remains in us, the fruit of the Spirit begins to take shape in our life. So once white relationship is established... Every, every branch needs to make sure that they do some of the following. They need to draw life from the vine. Write that in. Am I in right relationship with God? Yes. Then, and ask yourself, am I drawing life from the vine? Sometimes we have a confused idea of remaining in Jesus and he'll remain in us. I want to stay connected to you, Jesus, by my attendance pattern. I want to stay connected to you, Jesus, by my giving pattern. I want to stay connected to you, Jesus, by my good theology that I can articulate, my, my good understanding of who you are, God, of who God is. But when I remain in Him, that is the source of my life. Well, how are you doing with Jesus being the source of your life? This is why we can begin to see when, when the New Testament tells us, consider it Joy, brothers, when you face persecution of all kinds and there's trials and tribulation of all kinds because it is then you can see that your source of life is still there in Jesus. When is the last time you've checked to see where your life source is coming from? We know in a room like this that I bet you we'd be ranking right up pretty close to 100%. Maybe not. We're making an assumption, but pretty close. They'd say, you know what? I want to love Jesus. I want to live for God. I want to have the Holy Spirit in my life. You came back to church at 6 o'clock in 2013, here in a cold month in Indiana. You didn't show up here by accident. You came on purpose. 
You're desiring to grow in the things of God. Where is your life source? Is your life source still coming from Jesus? Are you drawing life from the vine? Remember, it's not your effort to create love. It's not your effort to create joy or peace or patience and so on. Only God can produce the fruit. I think sometimes in our faith tradition, we've made walking in the Spirit something more about my disciplined exercise routine spiritually of how hard I work. And don't misunderstand me. There is disciplines that happen before things become a joy. But the fruit of the Spirit is not based on my work. It's not based on a gift that God has given to me and some spiritual gift. The the fruit of the Spirit comes when my relationship with Him is right and I'm having life source filling me in that relationship. Jesus tells us in John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, I, I become fruitful as I draw life from the vine, and secondly, write this in, as I remain in the vine. The question is not, have you ever been tapped into Jesus? The question is not just, are you drawing life from Jesus at some point, but are you still in him? Are you remaining in him? John fifteen four. neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. When Jesus commands us to remain in the vine, he's implying that we have a choice in the matter. He does not force us. And so how we tend to our relationship with him, how we continue to develop that relationship with him, talks to us about if we are remaining in him. When I walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life. How does that happen? God does that in me when I remain in him. I continue to plug into my relationship with him. See, spiritual fruit yields right results. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Spiritual fruit, it will yield right results. Now notice how God responds to those who bear good fruit. John 15, 2. I think it's in your outline there. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. See, this right result obviously is is bearing spiritual fruit. I will have spiritual fruit in my life, and, and that is a right result. But notice what Jesus says about how the Father treats the branches that are not fruitful. John 15, 2. He cuts off every branch. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Jesus says, in essence, it's possible to be in me and and to try to remain in me, but you're not producing fruit. And if you're not allowing him to do that fruit in you, he will cut you off. I don't have time tonight to do justice to talk about the theological implications of what that means. But we can talk about that at another time. But, But catch this picture. You've heard it preached and taught before, written about before, that we are going to get cut from the Father one way or another. If we are bearing fruit, he will prune us so we can be more fruitful. If we refuse him to work in our life and we are not bearing fruit, he will cut us off from the branches. You see that sometimes when we are pruned, it feels very much like we're being cut off. But God loves us so much, he says, I want to prune you so you can have even more fruit. Let's bring this down to some application before we... Begin to see how this works for tomorrow. What what does your branch look like? Ask yourself honestly tonight. Is there anything in your life that is blocking the flow of God's spirit in you? 
Is there an area that you're still trying to control? Is there an area where you're being disobedient? If there is, tonight is a night to confess that before God. Is the fruit of my life evident of the flow of God's Spirit through me? Is the fruit of my life, is it give any evidence of the flow of God's Spirit moving through me? Or is my claim to be walking in the Spirit something that is totally contrary to what Jesus is doing in my life? Here's what I'd like us to do with the remainder of our time tonight. I want you to listen to Galatians 5.22 one more time. And I want you to begin to allow yourself to think through who you are when nobody is looking. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It is peace. Peace. It is patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. Is your life characterized by these things? Some of us here tonight, we'd say, you know what? I believe the Lord is putting a thumb in my back and saying that there's one of these areas that, that really is not evident in my character. It's not to say that you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, but he wants to continue to prune you to be even more fruitful. To walk in the Spirit means that you are yielding to him. It's not your works. It's not some gift that you have been given that you can demonstrate some kind of miraculous power. So now you have the Holy Spirit because of some emotional or some kind of experiential thing. No. It's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Is he wanting to prune you? Some of us here, if we're honest, the fruit of the Spirit in our life is plastic. It's artificial. I remember going into my Nana's house when she was still here on this earth. She was a pastor's wife, and her front room was always spotless, because that's what pastors did, I guess, have a spotless front room. You never know who would come over and who needed to have counseling there, and so it was perfect. And it was just a wonderful temptation to me as a young boy to go in there and try to make it not perfect. I walked in, and to the left, right there on the piano, was a dish of candy orange slices. Oh, they were a wonderful thing. My grandmother said I could have one, but only one. It's vivid in my mind. So now when I go to the grocery store, I buy a whole bag and eat the whole thing at once. I remember sitting in that room, and and I was right there, and and it's all coming back to me. And and she had this huge bowl of fruit. And it all looked kind of fake, except the grapes. They looked so real. And I remember being a kid, and I remember thinking, I know everything else is fake, but that just looks so real. I need to try it. So I grabbed one of those grapes and it popped off just like it would from a regular stem. I I put it in my mouth and began to chew. And chew. And chew. There was no taste. When I pulled it out, I had scraped some of the paint off and it didn't look real anymore. That's when Nana walked in and there was no more orange slices for me that day. You know what I'm talking about. It's that fake rubber fruit. It's that artificial fruit. And and if we're honest, church, sometimes, even those of us who love Jesus with all all of our heart, even those of us who, who want to live for him, we waste so much time trying to display artificial fruit. We work so hard to make sure you only see a picture of, of us that is, is guy smiley, like from Sesame Street. That's always smiling. That always has it all together. 
We begin to think that if I'm a good Christian like Pastor Brady's talking about and I have the fruit of the Spirit in my life, then I will never make a mistake. I will never be frustrated. I will always be excited. And so when that person backs into my car in the parking lot of Target, I will just smile. And it's fake fruit. It's artificial. This is not what Paul is talking about. This is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, if, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. It's a relationship thing. You've probably heard me say it before, and you're going to hear it a whole bunch more until you get sick of hearing it, probably. There's many times when an unsaved believe, unsaved person and then a spirit-filled person, when you put them in the same circumstances and the same pressure cooker of life, they will have something happen to them like a, a, a fender bender in a parking lot, and, and they may respond the same way under pressure. But the difference is not just that they get everything right all the time, but the spirit-filled believer hears the voice of the Lord say, that's not how I want you to react. And they stop and they say, oh, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. That lag time of obedience gets shorter and shorter, and, and you turn to the person and you say, you know what? I just hollered at you, and that's not how I want to react. I just ask God to forgive me. I want to ask you to forgive me. That's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It's not artificial. It's not fake. It's not perfect all the time. It's perfected for its use. You and I are to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And for us to be perfected for our use, that means in our own cracks, in our own flaws, in our own idiosyncrasies, we allow the Holy Spirit to move through us. This is why this is important tonight. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing freely in us as individuals and as a church. If we don't, let's just go home and be done with it all. See, we have been saved. We've been bought with a price. But we have been called to live a life where we give hope to the world around us. It's a life that is transformed, and we do not have transformation in and of ourselves. When you are saved, you give God your sins. When you are sanctified, you're giving God yourself. When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get all of God you're going to get. You don't have God light. You don't have like 101 of God. You have all of God you're going to get. But when you are sanctified, when you are set apart for His holy use, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are walking in the Spirit, you give God all of who you are. And so how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? How do I know if I'm sanctified? How do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Ghost? How do I know if I'm baptized in the Spirit? All those things mean similar things to us. How do I know if that's happening? When I keep all the rules perfectly. No. You'll begin to live in righteousness, but that's not it. When I have supernatural powers that people come from all around to just watch me work. That's not what it is. There is supernatural power. There is power that comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's not the evidence of that in my life. It's not that gift that you've been given. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the character of Jesus Christ. It's the attitude of Christ in us. As simple as I can put it, Paul's telling us, Hey, you have the fruit of the Spirit, all of it together. Jesus tells us, when you remain in me, I remain in you. Tonight as we close, I think it would be good for us to do a fruit check. What artificial stuff are we displaying? People around us know. 
If they can't tell by the way it looks, if you're that good of an artist and you could put up a picture that they don't see, as soon as life happens around you, they begin to chew on you as a person. They begin to see that you're rubbery and fake and there's not much there. You want to know the best way to share your faith? Be who you are in the midst of life's challenging situations and allow the Holy Spirit to move through you as you stay close to Jesus. So that's too simple. That's too simple, Pastor Brady. There's got to be more to it than that. No, it's as, as plain as I can put it. When I'm saved, I give God myself. When I'm sanctified, I, I, or when I'm saved, I give God my sin. When I'm sanctified, I give God myself. What piece of yourself are you still hanging on to? What blocks could there be of the character or attitude of Jesus being built in you? Well, Jesus, I want to give you everything, but, but you know what? Um, this area of my reputation, I've got to help you out in. People are saying things that aren't right. So I'm going to take it in my own hands, and I'm going to just kind of give them the what for. Give that to Jesus. Trust him for that. Let him be your defender. Well, Jesus, I, I want to surrender everything to you except my finances. I, I don't want you to call me to do something beyond what I'm comfortable with. That's different for all of us. Some of you in this room, it's not about tithe. You have surrendered to the fact that you have no challenges in the area of giving because you give a biblical tithe. What if God wanted you to give more than that? I'm not saying you have to do that here. You obey God, whatever he tells you. Some of you, God has blessed you so much that... that Giving of a tithe is, is a start of what he wants to do. If you happen to be new here, I'm, I'm not saying God wants your money. God doesn't need your money. God wants you. God wants to move in us. Let's look and see where the fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus, all these are the attitude of you. Are you beginning to make this in me? Oh, pastor, I mess up all the time. I'm not a perfect person. I know you're not. But when the Holy Spirit puts his thumb on your back and reminds you that that was not a kind thing to say, reminds you that you're not very patient, reminds you that you're not very loving at this moment, reminding you that you should be hanging on to his joy and not your own self-satisfaction, do you stop and say, oh, yeah, I, I, I want that. That's the evidence we're talking about. Father, the mass of words that have fallen down on us like snow from my mouth tonight are way too many. But I pray that you'll cut through the drift of snow that has been piled one upon another and you will breathe on your word again. These are your ideas. You're the one who's told us That the same power that was in you, Jesus, that conquered sin, death, and the grave is the same power that you are sending to live in us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be a people that walk in your spirit. Not just those who work to live righteously. You're going to do that in us. And not just those who flaunt a particular spiritual gift or an experience we've had and say, well, I have to be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit because this happened or I felt this way or I had this experience. Jesus, I pray that we will begin to gauge our spiritual maturity in you, walking in the Spirit, by how close we are with you. Lord, I pray that you'll begin to give freedom in our midst. 
You've given us all different spiritual gifts, but they're given by the same Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Tonight, as we go, I pray that you'll not allow this to just slip from our mind, but you may wake us up in the night, remind us of an area that we need to surrender. You may wake us up in the night and put your thumb on a piece of fruit in our life that's pretty artificial and fake. Maybe you want to love on us and say, well done, my daughter, my son. But it's time for me to prune you so you can be even more fruitful. Remind us, Jesus, that even though it feels like you're cutting us off, you're trimming us back so we can be even better bearers of your image. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. I want to encourage you, don't miss next week as we wrap up this series. We'll be talking about what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our midst. So what if we know who He is? So what if we know what He does? So what if we know what the evidence of the Holy Spirit is in our life? What are the implications of that in our church, in our life? Have a great evening. I was going to say afternoon. That's too, too far gone. If you want to have a great afternoon, you've got to try for tomorrow. Have a great evening. See you next week.